Our following guest is the manager for Suicide Silence. I believe we're going on 18 years of him being our manager, which is crazy to think about. All the way from MySpace days to tragedies within the band, it was him behind the scenes really getting the band back on its feet to move forward. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it. Please welcome Jerry Club. definitely times where i might have thought that i wouldn't be in this room again and yet here i am the room keeps changing but i'm still the same you're still the same and and you're still here man i am thank god i i know thank god for everyone that's still here after this uh crazy year we've had i know and uh yeah jerry club man this is gonna be your your lucky number 21 the 21st episode, by request, yeah. I specifically yeah. said, Chris Garza, 21 is my lucky number. I want to be that number on your podcast. Let's yeah. do it. Why uh, Why is it 21? Man, there are a lot of reasons for that, but I would say most notably because my birthday is on the 21st of July, mm-hmm. and so when you're younger and you're trying to figure out what your lucky number is going to be, yeah. I mean, your birthday's a, a pretty good indication. That and twenty-one is kind of a you know a famous lucky number within, uh, you know, blackjack and is it and and cards and and things like that. So yeah, you know, it's just one of those numbers that has made sense. And there's been a lot of times where the number twenty-one has lined up in my in my life and brought me good luck. So you know, wow. so it's my lucky number. And then my second luckiest number is seven, and my birthday is seven twenty-one. So. And oh. seven's also a commonly known kind of lucky number. So is it? Yeah, that's how you roll. Cool. Well, Jerry Club, thank thank you for uh, bringing your good luck here, dude. I hope so. I hope it's a great podcast. I it hope is. people uh, check this one out. Appreciate that, Jerry Club. You are the hidden six member of Suicide Silence. Thank you very much. It's awesome, and um, also probably the longest standing member. Like how long have I known you and been managing yeah. this band? Yeah, that yeah. goes back to 2004, I believe, is when I first saw Suicide Silence play at the Showcase Theater in Corona. And when I uh, got your guys's bludgeon to death uh, demo, I think, and um, exchanged contact information. And yeah, it goes all the way back then. And, and like you said, besides yourself, I'm the next longest kind of person that's been involved uh that's still involved at this point so i know it's 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 such a trip it definitely doesn't feel that long and uh you know we've we called you our our sixth beetle there you go and and in my personal opinion you've been our our secret weapon all right you know well let's not expose too much of my secret weapon (laughs) but yeah i i certainly feel like you know, a part of this Suicide Silence family and always have. And man, it's it's uh, been an enormous part of my adulthood, dude. It's changed my life, obviously, and and become my life. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an odd position to be in, not being a band member, but being so integral and involved in, in the career of, of the band in, you know, in a very personal way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. And and yeah, I'm happy to to be here and, and reveal some of the behind the scenes of it all. Yeah. 
but yeah, man. Right before we got connected, um, what were you doing before then? So prior to seeing Suicide Silence in 2004, yeah. I mean, most directly I was working at, <clears throat> I was working at Prosthetic Records at the time uh, yeah. as the kind of promo publicity guy. It was a job that I was probably just a few months into. It was my first real music industry job after having interned at Century Media. So, you know, that's that's really what I was doing and concentrating on is is I wanted to kind of build a career within the label structure of the music business um and you know what led me to that was uh working at my college radio station as a metal director um i had a, a radio show at my college and you know i was the one that would kind of program what hard rock and metal cds were on the shelves and that people would be spinning um and yeah of course i uh was in college going to film school so filmmaking was also on my my mind um, as to what I was hopefully going to do as a long-term career as far as post-production, maybe even screenwriting, things like that. Um, and got my degree from Chapman University's film school with an emphasis in editing. And so, you know, I was tr trying to find my way post-college um, shortly after graduating. This was probably just about a year or less after I'd graduated from college that uh, I was working at Prosthetic and came across you guys just during kind of a routine situation where a couple of our, our prosthetic bands were playing at the Showcase Theater in Corona, and I drove down to to kind of meet them and to get more familiar with our artists. And, um, and I remember seeing on the Showcase Theater marquee that Suicide Silence was playing above one of our new signings like the city, and I remember thinking, who is this band that's build above our signed band and playing between the two prosthetic bands like the city and acacia strain and i kind of was gonna watch it with a bit of a chip on my shoulder like okay well clearly this is a mistake you know and sure enough it was not a mistake uh the band had obviously you know you guys suicide silence had obviously had a great local following brewing in this area and you know there were tons of people going crazy in the pit for the band and i watched the whole set and was obviously incredibly impressed to the point of uh of speaking with you and um and and mitch i think that night and and the rest is you know kind of history that we could get more into more detail of but yeah as far as what i was doing i was trying to find my way post-college like what was i going to do with my life you know and there were kind of the the degree that i had and then there was my interest in in music that uh you know i i made some connections there at college radio that led me to some label opportunities and i was just getting my feet wet with that and had no intention of being an artist manager i probably didn't even know much about what an artist manager's job even was and you know i kind of decided to become that once um once i tried to get you guys signed to prosthetic and just didn't work out and then i wasn't super happy with my job there and kind of threw it all to the wind and said, let's do it. I'll manage the band. Let's go big. Wow. So. You, you went from getting a film degree in college to going straight into music, and then that led you to us meeting. 
Yeah, in some roundabout way, that that is what happened. I mean, like most young adults searching for what they're going to do in life, I kind of, um, you know, just found myself working at a at a label that was a relatively young, exciting label in, in prosthetic. There were a couple of acts that I really liked over there. All That Remains was a band that I was becoming familiar with that I was super into. And Lamb of God was kind of in the process of graduating from prosthetic up to Sony Epic and... Um, yeah, and it just, it felt like a good opportunity. And, you know, obviously I, I felt like I had more of an A&R sense and, and had an interest in working with, with bands, but I hadn't even really fully fleshed out what I wanted to do at that point. It just really struck me when I saw your band play live at a time that, you know, I just thought there was something different, um, about the type of music and the way you guys were, were performing that type of music. So, Yeah. So we spoke first, right? Because I was thinking, like, did he talk to Mitch or, or me first? You know, I honestly don't remember. I feel like I would have gone up to Mitch just being the front man that's more recognizable. Of course. Um, you know, so I feel like I, I talked to, to Mitch first. I know it was inside the venue after the show. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if I also spoke to you that that night or yeah or whatever but i was simply trying to just get the contact information exchanged and and uh yeah i was just eager to take it right to the boss man at prosthetic and try to get you guys signed but of course that wasn't my job at the label but yeah. i but i wanted to make it my job because i felt like there was some real opportunity with what was going on yeah i was trying to wonder how i got your number because like i don't remember i was talking that day but I did get your number, and I know if for a fact I, I didn't get it from Mitch. I could have handed you a business card. I mean, oh, I'm maybe, always the type that would have a business maybe. card on me. I'm sure I had fresh prosthetic business cards that I was stoked about uh, that I'm sure I handed them out. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it could have been that. And, I'm, you know, I don't recall, but was, you know, Gabe still loosely managing you guys? I believe at, so. At, at that time as well. I know, you you know, he was kind of the the friend manager uh, situation that that you guys had before me and so i don't know to what extent he was um involved with with the band business as i was coming on board but you know i know he was a a key part of of helping grow you guys early on and and you know his name and phone number was on like the demos i think and things like that back in the day so you know it was just uh yeah it was it was an amazing time to have gone to a, a show there at Showcase, which of course isn't there anymore. And, you know, without it, so many bands wouldn't have had the growth that they had. And I know and, a lot a lot of bands got their, their start there. You know, shout out to Gabe Ochoa, being, being Trio, great guy. You know, he definitely helped out a lot with, with us. I remember having your number and I'll be at Ancho's washing dishes and you would either call me or text me. And I remember always looking at my phone, like, oh my God, Jerry's calling me. Wow. That's Holy funny. crap. Because I was such a young kind of, God, I must have been, what, in 2004? I was only 22. So I was just this young dude that was probably thinking, these guys even take me seriously? Like, you know. I did. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely uh, interesting to think back on. Because I was trying to make my way without knowing anybody and just thinking, like, I want to work with this band. I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to 
happened, but you know, I was probably, you know, pretty aggressive with letting you guys know that at that point. What yeah. was it about suicide silence that made you take that leap? Garza's great looks. <laughs> no, it was um yeah, it was an immediate thing seeing Suicide Silence perform at the at the showcase, you know, at the particular show that I was mentioning earlier. It was uh the ferocity of the the live performance, a lot of it certainly had to do with Mitch and just the way he moved on stage was so unique and he was so, you know, just moving with the the music, so to speak. And it was just so incredibly heavy and the reaction that the fans were were having was very much a losing their minds kind of reaction. Uh I believe the family guy clips were were present at that point to yeah. some extent. And, you know, just having those kind of cartoon clips in the in the songs was kind of a unique touch and they would happen right before a big breakdown so kind of work to to build things up and then people would scream the family guy quote you know along with with the audio and then you know beat the crap out of each other and it was uh yeah it was a really unique experience and it was just ferocious and you know everybody on stage not just mitch but everybody was you know huge movements with headbanging and and uh you know and the drummer at the time josh wore a mask and you know that was interesting obviously it was something that that slipknot had been doing with you know all their members and things like that so i immediately thought oh is this just kind of like a gimmick that he's wearing a mask so i didn't know if that was really cool or not but it certainly was unique and it certainly had me asking the questions as to you know why why only one guy in the band wearing a mask? And it's actually funny that later on I go to find out that Josh kind of does make funny faces when he drums and that he really wanted to wear that mask to kind of cover up the fact that he felt like he looked awkward while while drumming. And I just to this day, I feel like, do, do many people even realize that? Like back then, I feel like it was kind of a, people didn't know. They probably thought the band was trying to, you know, just collectively decided to do that to be cool looking or something but it was really yeah. an individual decision by him right more than yeah. anything yeah one so. of those individual decisions slash quirks that just kind of sticks and works you know yeah and i like how when he was you know was no longer in the band anymore it wasn't like you tried to throw a mask on the next guy or something it wasn't this <laughs> this gimmick where we're just going to use the same mask or wear or use a different mask or anything it was very much like that was josh's thing and yeah. And doesn't he still have that mask? I think so. Like talk to him and he I want, I want still to got see it. it. He wears it to sleep at night. Dude, that's, <laughs> it was cool, man. Yeah, yeah, he had, he had his own thing. It was awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like that Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. Like, Josh would put that on and he would, like, become the drummer of Suicide Silence. Yeah. And then when he's not wearing it, he's kind of just this really tall, interesting dude that's that's yeah. super articulate and great at cooking. Yeah. <laughs> you great know, like, cook, man culinary major or whatever and it just yeah it's almost that was almost like his alter identity yeah shout out big josh thank you for my first job at on shows dude he knew uh, he, he was a cook at on shows one of the main cooks wow and he, and he was incredible and then uh, we would i don't know if i should be saying this but uh we were anyone that would go to on shows was you know hook up a little bit extra food he, he would like hide fucking he would hide like tacos underneath tamales or something like he would just hide extra like a whole other plate underneath it was it was awesome shout out it was it was great it's wild man and uh, that, anchos 
just th- thinking back, we had some band meetings there early on, I think, and yeah, just just this whole Corona area to me is has such history. Uh, I mean, I've had very little reason to ever come here other than suicide silence related business, and there's been so much of it, you know, over the past fifteen, I guess, seventeen years now. Seventeen that years. I've just come out here so many times, and there's, yeah, it's it, everything reminds me of of the beginning. Just yeah. crazy. It doesn't even feel that long at all. Dude, I know. I mean, I'm going to turn 39 this year. boy. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, your 30s. wait, wasn't I the young manager of this band at, at 22? Didn't I discover this band? And think, God, I'm too young. They're not going to take me seriously. And now it's like, I'm too old. They're not going to take me seriously. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Still managing this band. And um, yeah. You can't win. You can't win, dude. But it's just crazy how one little thing, like seeing a band play and then being passionate about wanting other people to see that band and to hear that band, how that can create such a life-changing dynamic, even for the person that's not the musician like me, that's just like, for some reason, I'm dedicated to proving to people, especially as a lot of people you know, doubted the band early on or didn't want to take mm-hmm. a chance, you know, along with me as we were building our team and, you know, figuring out who we, we were going to work with. Um, it just really fueled me to to be like, I'm going to do this and this band's going to mean something to a lot of people and I'm going to, you know, be responsible for that and, and feel as a part of, you know, the success as I as I do about, you know, the passionate process of getting there and yeah, just to think back and be like, that's what I did with my life, with my 20s and my 30s, and I'm not going to get them back, you know, and I'm not a person that has regrets really or, or regrets that, but it's just crazy to think like when I was in college, I wasn't thinking I'm going to be a band manager or I'm going to yeah. find one band and just become, like you said, the, the sixth member behind the scenes. It's just, it's such a strange kind of career that I fell into and you know, and then to to stay independent, you know, for the most part, the whole time and just kind of do my own thing and not join a big management company and, and do all that. You know, they're just choices along the way that, you know, that are, uh, yeah, that have led us to where we are now. And, and so many bands, so many even great bands from, you know, the mid 2000s that kind of were coming up with Suicide Silence and, and with our scene just aren't together anymore for whatever reason you know with their members or or their teams behind the scenes or whatever the case may be so it's just a a real testament to how the dynamic of me managing the band and helping hire our initial team and you know how that team develops into another team and Mm -hmm. how we have to replace members uh for certain reasons along the way And, and even then we've done that a lot less than a lot of other bands have um but you know just the process there's so many ways things can go wrong and there are so many things that even did go wrong and it's just to get to this point um yeah i'm I'm super proud of where the band is and you know and i have to be proud of of where i'm at and and uh you know my ties to the legacy that that is suicide sounds at this point yeah it's so crazy, like, like you're just saying how this one moment, one day 
change the course of like your whole life. And you it's never, and you never know it, you know, at, at the time, it just seems like another day, but looking back, it's, you can just pinpoint these moments and be like, wow, if only I knew that moment was going to be that moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what would I have done differently? But, you know, really nothing, like everything, you know, happens for, for a reason. And you even having this, this podcast, and I know we were talking earlier, like, what is the likelihood of Chris Garza having this? this podcast when I kind of always knew you as the guy in the band that was the very quiet, methodical thinker that didn't speak up very, very much uh, during most of my time managing the band. And so to have you running a podcast where you're being articulate and, you know, and having conversations with people, it's just like, what, what world do I live in? The Chris Garza <laughs> podcast? Like we've come a long way from the shy Chris Garza that I feel like um, I mean, you were really young when I started working with, with the band. And yeah. so just seeing everybody develop as as people and just the maturity uh, and just everything that comes along with keeping the band going as everybody changes um, yeah. and, and develops, you know, that that's how, how the art gets made and, and how, it, how that's ever changing. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome to be here. You hope to get there. Well, you know thanks and, man and uh, uh you get like a few kind of ongoing questions about um one of them is i'll get asked how do you get a manager i'm like shit i don't know i i, I don't know how the band gets a manager so it i kind of so two things is one since i get asked that question pretty often it is it goes it's a testament that it's so a band needs a manager, you know, like I, I can't even like imagine like us not having a manager because if, if we, if we didn't have you, like we wouldn't have gone on in like this trajectory, you know, we, we, like, that, that, that wouldn't have happened that when there's needing someone to be, have like a, a focus and a passion and, and a love for to make, make it happen. And uh, it's, it's such a important part, man. You know, I, I do agree. I think everybody, you know, every type of manager is, is different, though. I obviously didn't know anything about being an artist manager when I became one, so I pretty much fully threw myself into doing whatever it took, financially investing, you know, money in the band and and being available at, you know, 2, 3 in the morning, dealing with emergencies, doing everything I can to to make sure that we're able to, to stay together and, and to have a very, you know, public-facing... Um, image of the band that is always showing progress and that things are going extremely well, even if behind the scenes there's there's struggles. So there's there's so much work that goes into it early on that you know not every manager wants to do things like that. You know, certain especially managers that are experienced or or at a certain level. I mean, sometimes they just pick up bands that get recommended to them, or like you said, bands are looking for a manager, and there's maybe a manager looking to grow his his clientele and manager kind of does standard manager duties and the band's already got a little bit of a following and it just kind mm -hmm. of things grow as they grow but with me and you guys early on it was very much like i was gonna do anything and everything and just become a member of the band because i didn't know how to manage any other kind of way than basically being like this is my band i'm a member of this band i need to think of it like that or else i'm never gonna be able to, you know, work as hard for them as I 
would work if it was my own career, you know, like if it was my own project. So really seeing it as my own project um, allowed me to get immersed in it to that point. And it obviously wasn't a, a bad thing that I had a lot of experience with videography from film school and had yeah. some great quality cameras and was able to film and edit videos that would go up early on in your guys' career on, on MySpace and um, before MySpace was hosting music videos or, or before YouTube was even a thing. And so just being on the forefront of the video technology and having those capabilities combined with, you know, just my computer savviness and my dedication to the MySpace platform really, you know, just allowed me to to reach that audience that was out there because I was just like, hey, man, I can add friends on MySpace. Hey, there's an unlimited amount of people that I can find that are liking other similar artists or that I think they would like Suicide Silence or they would like Suicide Silence better than this other artist they're following. I would just target those people, comment, message, add friends, you know, so much uh, on MySpace there early on, particularly before there were restrictions. Um, so and, early on, you knew the importance of social media. Uh, absolutely. Particularly MySpace music, which I think the kind of the start of MySpace music probably aligned itself pretty well with the timing of me meeting Suicide Silence and becoming your guys' manager, which I'm, I think happened just a few months after I saw you guys for the first time. I think it happened pretty fast. Um, but MySpace music was definitely, you know, early on in its development at that time. And, you know, and the MySpace pages had a very standard HTML. Um, and there just weren't people embedding videos or they didn't know how to, or you had to host videos uh, places in order to embed them. And so I remember having my mentalsuplex.com website and I put up that destruction of a statue, you know, live video from Showcase and, um, you know, and embedded that on the Suicide Sounds MySpace page. And then people would would share that page with their friends and and people would just freak out over that performance the song you know the combination of of that and and to this day there's still people that hit me up and say hey i first heard about the band on myspace because of that that live video that was on their myspace page and it's like i know exactly what one they're talking about it's because there wasn't any real competition uh and i remember that video got so many plays i had to upgrade my server and it was just you know it was exciting but i knew it was working and i just knew based on that reaction that the more people heard it and saw that video, the bigger the band would get. And so I took full advantage of using all of my time to do that because, you know, I didn't know other people in the industry really, you know, as far as people that would just do me favors or allow Suicide Sounds to have a big opportunity. There was also a stigma, of course, that went along with growing on MySpace and being a MySpace band uh, you know, where it took a while for some labels, uh, and other industry people to take a band seriously that was, you know, growing on, on MySpace. But certainly I knew if the numbers got big enough and we had the live footage that shows how the live shows, how crazy they were going, um, and, and that fans were, were packing venues. I knew that it was only a matter of time and sure enough, that's, that's what did it. And that's, you know, what got my start in, in the industry as far as being taken seriously was the success of Suicide Silence with social media and just our ability to 
to grow the band together, both the members and and manager. And I guess, you know, long story short, when it comes to, you know, the importance of a manager with a band, it just really depends on the type of relationship, the type of person, the type of, of manager. And, you know, that just doesn't happen very often. All the managers that I've come to know over time and situations I've seen, it's it's rare to have somebody be able to put their heart and soul and and every second of their lives into a band that they're not in, you know? But yeah. sometimes if you got the right person in the right situation with the right band, then that can work for everybody. And, you know, luckily it, it worked for us. And this was the first time I ever, the first band I ever managed and the first attempt I ever made at such a thing. And thank God it worked well because I certainly wouldn't, have been a band manager if if this first one crashed and burned because I would have lost all my money and and people would have been like I told you so why are you investing your money in a death metal band and <laughs> at a time when CD sales are going you know by the wayside that kind of yeah music doesn't sell much anyways and now you know with Napster and all those other things that have come along and you know it, it just CD sales were on their way out there in the in the mid to late two thousands but you know, the strength of Suicide Silence uh, and your guys' fan base and everything just really overcame that. So so even though you heard like the like the naysayers or, or even though you, he had outside opinions of, uh, oh, you know, what are you doing? Oh, it's a bad time where uh, things aren't selling, CDs aren't selling. Well, you always hear like, like the CDs aren't selling anything. You really didn't let that affect you at all. Correct. I for a manager. I definitely uh, have always felt like I was fueled by the naysayers. Um, you know, so it would just inspire me to to work harder and produce the results faster and, and everything whenever I'd get another naysayer. I mean, I was a little bit worried from a financial standpoint, especially when the naysayers, you know, were my parents to some extent. Like, what, like what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You got this college scholarship. We help, yeah. you know we've helped you get to this point and now you're just yeah. going to stop everything you're doing and not pursue your film career and manage a, this death metal band that of course my parents don't understand how it's even music when they hear it. It just sounds like of fingers course. on the chalkboard. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's just, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a big risk and there were, you know, plenty of, of times that I thought, Oh no, this is going by by the wayside i mean if certain members quit the band or, or anything then there's a chance the band just doesn't doesn't continue and and i obviously would be in debt um for a number of things but mostly i remember spending a lot of money on merchandise that we would need, yeah. need printed for shows you know t-shirts and and uh and and all that not to mention i started the uh the little record label of of mine third degree records when i put out that first ep of of your guys's, which was really just when I say put out like a non-distribution type thing, it was just me figuring out how to get CDs pressed, manufactured in our hands that we could sell on the road and and make deals with certain independent shops to to sell otherwise. Um, but you know, even aside from from manufacturing the CDs and kind of being the band's label for that initial EP, um, yeah, the the merchandise investment was huge because. All the money we'd make from selling merch, we'd have to, instead of it coming back to me, it would have to go toward other things that we would naturally need, like transportation and our ability to 
continue to do tours and and all these sorts of things. So I remember being, you know, crazy to the point where, you know, we weren't that happy with our merch production situation and uh and and you know i remember i remember in my apartment in in west la like shipping suicide silence merch myself for a certain amount of time and i remember we had production issues we just weren't getting things in time to send to the fans and of course i was dealing with the fans directly on myspace and the internet you know where's my shirt or i got this wrong shirt or and it was too much for me to handle also shipping out the merchandise and and doing all that for you guys so i remember being like i'm just gonna start them merch company and we're going to print our own stuff and I'll have my, my family help me out and, and they'll ship it from Arizona. And I trust my mom and my, you know, my dad. And they're like diligent to the point where they'll make sure that the right people get the right shirts. And of course I bring my family on board to that crazy idea. And I say, yeah, let's print shirts and I'll find other bands and we'll just start a, start a t-shirt company. And I remember for a while it was exciting because we were able to kind of control our our merch in a much more direct way. We didn't have those same production issues or even customer service issues, but uh, trying to expand that company came with its issues because I realized that not every, you know, the bands that I don't manage don't really care about paying their merch bills. You know, the only reason that it worked with Suicide Silence is I can make sure that we paid our merch bills, you know, properly or reasonably so that the debt didn't get super ridiculous. But with other bands that I didn't work with or, you know, they got recommended to me. We'd print their merch over the years while I was still developing uh, third degree merch, and and yeah, it was it was a struggle printing a bunch of merch for bands that went on tour and then disappeared and never paid their bills. And when am I going to be the guy that that sues these metal bands for for money? I mean, I didn't have the structure, the the legal structure in place to, you know, to scare bands into paying their balance. Nor did I really even want to. And my family didn't know the first thing about chasing metal bands for money. So, yeah. you know, so that, that kind of changed over time. Uh, strangely, that merch company still, still exists, although I'm not a part of it. My mom runs it from just a production standpoint. They no longer print for bands. They print for, you know, local sports teams and, and churches and things like that. Um, but yeah, I basically started a business that my mom ended up working for me and, and now runs herself and and keeps very busy with and so i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but it's certainly a weird thing and it's just another one of those early on with suicide silence doing their video stuff doing their merch stuff doing the the record label stuff before we you know had century media come along and and officially sign the band so it really was um a situation that's very unique as far as manager and band. Like I just did a lot more than standard manager stuff because I considered myself a part of the band in a way and felt like I had to, in order to get maximum success and yeah. And, and everything that's happened since then is, has been because of those initial crazy ideas I had just dedicated to not letting the naysayers be right. You know? Yeah. You, it seems like you just found ways to do things. So, oh, well, when you need CDs, then you find a way to print CDs. When you need to merch, you find a way to print merch. When you need, you need to promote the band, you find a way to do it. Like, that goes well, so far beyond any manager duty. Or even, like, if any manager will even be willing to do that. 
you went so above and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just, I guess, the way that that I was raised and the way I've just always lived my life is I, I treated it like a school subject. Like I'm someone that got straight A's all in high school and college and just was super studious in that way. And I just would hate for, I'd be like embarrassed if I got a B or something because, wow. because the I'd be embarrassed <laughs> that the teacher would think less of me or that I yeah. should be better than I am or, mm -hmm. or, or something, you know, because I felt like I was such a good studier and I, and you know, if I really applied myself, I should always be able to do well enough to what someone expects from me, you know? So I just think that I treated managing this, this metal band that you're in as, as like a school subject that like, I have to pass it with flying colors. You know, that's just the, the only thing I knew was school, uh, from that point, you know, I'd been fortunate to, uh, to have really concentrated on my education. I didn't even really have that many odd jobs growing up or anything. All, all the jobs I worked were kind of just shooting video content on the sides for people, even when I was, you know, still in, in high school and making that transition coming out to, to college in California and everything. I, I simply had odd hustle jobs here and there. So, so to me, I didn't know anything other than like do well in school that's what I'm good at, like make a good impression, get along with people. And so when it came to working with a death metal band, it was kind of that, that same thing, just had to dedicate to getting the best, the best grade I could get in band management 101, you know, without knowing anything. It's just like, let me, let me create my success. And so it was exciting to, to not um, have a blueprint that I had to go off of. It was different from school in a way that I didn't have something I could just study and, and remember, and that's how I passed. But I had to kind of create my own destiny um, mm -hmm. with it. And so, yeah. It's funny because I think about this origin story of Suicide Silence a lot, and I, you know, I want to apply it to other things in my life. I'm like, man, if I could just throw myself at this the way I threw myself at Suicide Silence <laughs> in 2004, like that's the way to get this done. And it's just yeah. so hard as you get older and older, like to totally. be so focused on Tough. one thing because as a growing adult you know there's all these other responsibilities that kind of prevent you from doing what i did which was staying up all night in my underwear on myspace just being like ad friend ad friend <laughs> ad friend you know and that was yeah. the reality of it it was it was crazy i take a break i'd play some guitar hero when that first guitar hero <laughs> was was hitting but like yeah i was one of the early adopters of that i just remember i think i probably even saw an ad or something on myspace when i was adding friends for you guys. And I was like, guitar hero. That sounds like something I would like. Cause I don't really play guitar, but I'm, I'm a wannabe. So I play video games. It's perfect. So I just like ordered it shows up. I learn it, start playing it before there was even a craze around it at all. Like I didn't know anyone yeah. else who even knew what it was. I just ordered it. Cause it was a PlayStation game that had the word guitar in it. You know, that was it. So yeah, that was an exciting time. Cause you got the dawn of guitar hero. You got the dawn of, of suicide silence and, and myspace music and yeah man there's a lot to unpack in those mid-2000s yes it's uh you like you said it like when, when you get older it becomes a slightly harder to really put all yourself in into something like, you know like, oh, oh man I remember back then i was so focused how do i do that for this it's hard man when you get older it's, it it's really hard to put everything you have into something it's totally tough 
Yeah, even trying to still do it with Suicide Silence, you know, at this that point too, in, my, yeah. in my life, I mean, things change. And yeah. I, I know you've heard me more than once be like, you know, Garza, I want to be able to tell you that I can be on your social media all day and all night and develop your TikTok and do all these <laughs> these new age things. But let me tell you the truth, man. I don't know how to use TikTok. I don't have one of those. And at the end of the day, I don't know yeah. that I'd be the best to, to be figuring that out for the band. So things yeah. definitely change. And even my role as as what I do from a managing the band standpoint, I think changes and needs to change with with the band over time, you know? And early on, you guys needed me to be that guy. Yeah. And now, you know, band members themselves are adults uh, and, and matured in a certain way where you guys are able to handle some things that maybe you weren't able to early on and, and have such yeah. a grasp on what it takes to be a, a band this long that I don't have to stay awake all night worrying about getting a call from from somebody about an emergency and you know uh just those those situations back in the day even with with girlfriends or whatever being upset with one of the band members and not wanting them to go on tour and i gotta like convince yeah. the girlfriend to, to to let the band member go on tour you know it's gonna be okay you know, I'll talk to him every day. <laughs> He'll behave. Wait, every yeah. other day or week. Yeah, so just, you know, <laughs> so just just the whole aspect of the therapy that had to go into being a young band manager, working with a young band. It's like, because I can't, you know. So crazy. I, I didn't command a certain crazy level of respect as like a person that was an experienced music industry veteran. So it's not like you guys would just listen to me when I'm dealing out life lessons of this is how you need to be in this band. Cause it's like, how would Jerry know how to like what it takes to be in this band? He's never even been in a band and he's only a couple of years older than us. And like, so <laughs> I really, I really had to just tough. dig to the core of, of one of my other interests, which is like psychology and, uh, you know, and just psychiatry and, and that kind of stuff of just, just working with, with people and and their feelings and making sure that everybody felt you know comfortable in the band and that their voice mattered and just just such a dynamic you know that not every group of four or five guys can't just figure that stuff out on their own because there's so many different types of personalities clashing and it's so easy for people to just be like that's it i quit i don't need to to be a part of this you know and and luckily i was there to hopefully prevent things like that from from really happening or boiling over and I was able to to use you know the communication skills that I've always felt was a strength of mine you know to to manage the band in, in that way so that's just a whole nother aspect of of managing the band and, and one that was so delicate for me because I felt like man they don't respect me that much because I don't command respect but if I'm just really honest and really articulate how much I care and just say like guys I really think this is what we need to do calm down like this is gonna work like don't be upset with with so and so and and let me just be the middleman for this conversation to make sure that we all leave today with the band still intact you know just those yeah. types of things were were huge and those aren't really responsibilities of of band managers typically and no. in a lot of ways band a lot of band managers or members of a band's team live in different states than the band themselves and you know yeah. lots of times it's not even possible to be in a room and be the mediator yeah. like that but you know i guess this the destiny of all this also is that we've always been local to each other you know like yeah. you guys are here in southern california and i'm here in southern california and that's pretty much been the case the whole time so yeah 
Yeah, I think us living so close by to each other has been very crucial, especially over the years. Totally. You know, it's just something kind of keeps us like just staying here. You know, it's it's weird. Uh, we just none of us will really move move away, even though it's cheaper or you want to. It's like something just keeps us here. Yeah, and that's one of many aspects of keeping a band together. That's you know crazy when you think about it. Like, man, you guys all pretty much have stayed in the same area. Like, what if somebody went and moved to another country or moved all the way across mm -hmm. the country or things like that? Not that the band would have to break up, but it just changes the dynamic of how often you guys can see each other and get together. And and sometimes it's one foot out the door for someone if they live so far away or they start feeling distant from the other guys or whatever then yeah then the synergy might not be what it what it once was and so i yeah. think uh yeah i mean you just don't always doesn't always happen like this where a band is able to to stay close together both proximity wise and just you know creatively and and with their their team you know and, and including me going back so far and, and still being around i mean it's just it's helpful because it's not easy because a lot of great bands break up before they, you know, maybe really needed to. And, and even more so the case, a lot of great bands never get known or discovered because they just never collectively get it together to the point where all elements are able to be clicking, you know? Yeah. So, Yeah. And man, I remember thinking back then in the mid 2000s when I first started working with you guys and managing bands, like I'm just a few years late to this band management game, you know, records aren't selling uh, like they used to. I, I'm meeting these other managers that are talking about all this money they were making in the late 90s and huge deals. No, and, yeah, and I'm just like 90s. thinking, man, I really missed the boat on this, right? And I'm just like, why am I like, I'm just late to the game if I was only born five years earlier yeah, or something, bet, right? Yeah. And yeah. then, and then here today, I'm like thinking back, man, things were great in the mid 2000s. Oh, like, yeah. like uh, I loved that. We were yeah. killing it. And look yeah. how great records were selling back then. Right. Oh, Cause gosh. today is a totally different story. And now I look at that time that I was in realizing, ah, man, I hear from the music industry, you know, veterans that things are on the decline. And now I remember thinking back to those times and being like, wow those were awesome times for me because it just, you know, got worse and worse from, yeah, I guess from an exciting standpoint where, you know, where records were still selling bands were maybe able to, to, uh, to do a li little bit better without relying on outside forces like Spotify and Apple and things like that now, which are, which are great, but they're a lot different than, you know, even MySpace where, where, myself and us were able to control our direct communication to our fan base and grow the band in such a way that you know now there's other gatekeepers out there that decide what bands get on what playlists and how you know how much they kind of get in front of people whereas back then i felt like we had a little more control over who we got in front of because we were able to reach out to people that were yeah uh very responsive you know, directly. So hopefully we see things move in that direction where, you know, where there's a social platform that allows people to discover and communicate with, with the band in a really like music centric way, you know, cause the fact that Instagram is kind of like the spot for, you know, yeah. our social media 
it's just that's like an image based platform short video based platform it isn't a music player based platform you know where people are just exploring music and getting excited about it and that's really yeah. what what myspace music as it was dubbed was was all about and so that's just something that you know it bums me out that nothing has kind of replaced that uh while i love the streaming services they don't integrate the communication between the fans and the and the bands on there you know you got to go elsewhere for that and the second you're sending yeah. people multiple places it's just things get lost in the shuffle but yeah i i hear it's changing soon i i, I don't want to start any rumors but i hear some of the major uh, audio platforms are trying to find a way to integrate a uh, comment section and etc so that it's good to know you, I, you're right I, I never think about that like myspace it was myspace music yeah and it was like people will go there like to hear bands and they will communicate with each other I, I forgot about that yeah man that was that was the jam dude as much as it was you know uh, a silly thing in a way to be a myspace band or to grow on there it was such a great platform and way that we can control our you know control our own future and it was just huge to the the start of this band in like the real sense um you know going worldwide and being recognized by by labels and fans all around the world and you know and it helped so many bands back then and yeah. it's just it's so tough these days i can't imagine you know to be an up-and-coming band and how you get noticed and things like that there's just a lot that goes beyond you know your control these days so yeah what made you that you 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 touch on it but this is something people always bring up is what made you put a video on myspace that has it been done yeah i mean i before you did it people have definitely asked me this before um i don't recall seeing any when anyone else do it on myspace um what drove me to do it simply was i saw this band live and that's what sold me on it to the point of quitting my job at the label and um becoming an artist manager and integrating myself into the suicide sounds world and i thought if only other people could see this band live and i'm not just talking about a camcorder in the back of the room but let me use my videography prowess and my editing degree and all that so you know i got some people from film school to operate a couple other cameras and and we multi-camera filmed one of your you know next shows at showcase and and i chose what song i thought worked best as a first impression i chose you know obviously the angles when i edited it and put that all together and i I had a website that I had started previously for my video production. And so I had a place I could host it and I knew enough about QuickTime and embedding and things like that, that I knew as long as it was HTML that I could code our MySpace page. It was at that time that, you know, MySpace was starting to allow this custom coding. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just did it. And, you know, obviously now that's embedding videos, a super, commonplace type thing yeah, and like, youtube videos are embedded a million places every day but back then yeah it was something where i thought okay this is going to put us ahead of of other bands and you know our competition and you know which was job for a cowboy and some other bands coming up around that time that that i 
I was excited to to compete with because there were some other bands in our similar genre that were coming up that were doing well. And I remember thinking I got to get a one up on these bands somehow, you know, and, and to, to me it was show the live performance that Suicide Silence puts on and just as importantly, show the fans in that live video and the way they're reacting to what you guys are doing on stage. So that was, you know, the fans reacting to the band was just as important as, as seeing you guys. And that just showed that there was something brewing that the rest of the world should be jealous of, you know? And I think that that video not only got a lot of people to see the band for the first time, but it got you guys, you know, a, a UK tour and, you know, in what, 2006, when you were still an unsigned band, it got you over to the, to the UK to play a bunch of totally packed, crazy shows, um, you know, to a part of the world that, that you'd never been to before, um, you know, making a bunch of 16 year old promoters over there, a whole bunch of money by selling out a bunch of shows, but it happened, you know, because they were able to see what was going on in Southern California and be like, man, we need that here. And then sure enough, we went and brought that to them, you know, and that was, and I went on that tour with you guys, which is one of the very few tours I've ever gone on with the band because it's just not really my job or, or interest, uh, all that much. But I remember that was the first time, you know, any of you guys were leaving the country and, and, um, and I was so obviously involved in everything that in order to make sure that nothing went wrong and that you guys didn't get trapped in another foreign country or something, yeah. uh, I went along with you guys and, you know, that's definitely a cherished memory to this day is that, that UK tour and just seeing people in, in another country, young kids reacting, you know, to a band that I helped bring to them, um, you know, made me feel so happy that you know that i was able to affect these people's lives even though i'm not the one making the music i was able to connect you guys with them and you know and the people that would thank you know you guys or message the myspace and i would reply or whatever that that thanked the band for saving their lives you know getting them through crazy times there were so many you know young men and women that would would message the MySpace. And again, it was me running it. So I would, you know, reply, you know, as the band basically, and, and be very gracious to what they were saying. But I know you guys got a lot of that at the merch table in person and things like that as well. So to me, that was the most gratifying of, of everything. When I talk about the success of being dedicated to the success of, of Suicide Silence and, and making sure that everything worked out was just having people thank us for for being something to them, you know, that, that helped them in their lives. That was, that's the payoff to me. And it it always has been, um, you know, what's kept me going even through those times when the money was invested and, and I was worried that things could go wrong. Just getting one message from somebody, like, especially in a foreign country or something being like, Oh my God, I just found your band. You know, I'm going through a really rough time with, with this and, and I swear this has helped me so much. Thank you guys. You know, and it's just like, well, obviously I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because look at how it touched that person, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, man. Embedding a video on MySpace 
it's 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 uh definitely a, a time and a place in history where that um it is where the the stars align to make that work with a young death metal band you know imagine if that was like a, just a dj or a rapper or something it would be the biggest thing in the world <laughs> but no it yeah. was a young death metal band um that had this video embedded on myspace and i really think it just everything you guys were doing stylistically as well it just it really helped bring extreme metal to a younger generation of of people you know that were u using that social media platform for you know reasons beyond music or for other genres of music and you know i think it's cool just like when you had jose on here and he's talking about how exciting it is to get people to you know wave that flag for metal and get more people into metal i mean that's how i yeah. felt like we were carrying our flag early on was you know getting people into extreme music that happened to see that video on our myspace page um and just seeing the type of energy that a live show you know with heavy guitars and, and screaming could could bring you know um yeah so it was awesome it was awesome man it's that 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 video i mean things definitely changed once you did that like we did a like right, right before that U UK tour, we had like a full on summer tour that summer, and uh, we were headlining. And there was five bands under us. So it was a big tour. They're all signed. And yeah. Like, I, I don't know how. When you look back, I don't know how, because we didn't have a piece in that. Like choosing like the bands, or I don't think, or booking a tour. You, I don't know who you were talking to, or how you made it happen. You really got us to play over like four or five signed bands and we still weren't signed at where has they all had cds in stores and shit i remember like them making comments about it yeah was that the spreading disease tour is that oh, the one yeah. you're talking about yeah and so i think yeah and that was very you know purposeful i i know that it, that i was aware of that at the time and that we were making a statement as far as like let's let's up that record deal double or nothing <laughs> double or nothing <laughs> let's up that record deal look at look yeah. at the hype here on this on this tour <laughs> Don't um, nothing, man. and was it ash that booked that tour i mean i i know I so yeah early on um having ash avildsen as an upcoming agent and me as an upcoming manager and and the you know everything was aligning in a way where the labels were starting to really take notice and and yeah headlining a tour um with a great turnout over bands that were signed with cds and stores and everything was obviously a a big statement um but really, I mean, it was the billing that made sense. I mean, the um, the MySpace numbers and everything that we were building, it was translating into the live setting. And I think, you know, if it wasn't, then people would would notice and be like, "All right, well, bands on MySpace are just big on the internet. What what is that? What is that going to do in the real world?" Yeah. But the fact that we were able to do real world numbers, headlining and things like that, um, showed that the bigger your, you know myspace numbers are and just what you're able to do on the internet worldwide um definitely can affect your real life turnout at live shows and 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 thus in merch commerce and and all this so you know i think we were kind of guinea pigs early on for that at least within the metal scene of can myspace numbers really equal attendance and making money you know and i think we proved we were actively proving that it could and that's yeah. really where 
you know, labels started to take notice. And that's where so many other bands, I think, started, I know, reaching out to me. Hey, can you be our manager? Or, hey, how do you run your MySpace, you know, so well? And hey, can we pay you to build our MySpace? And I'm sure you guys Amazing. got saw a lot of bands coming up that were, you know, growing on MySpace and getting aggressive there. And, yeah. and so many people were trying to then do what we were, you yeah. know, able to accomplish early on. So, yeah, I know. And, and you help start a whole thing. It's funny that you said, you mentioned MySpace numbers. It's funny how that, that was a thing, which now has evolved to, you know, maybe that those were the, like the, like the beginnings of, then you have Facebook numbers, then you have Spotify numbers and YouTube numbers. You really think that's kind of like- So many like, numbers. Like, like the start of it, you know, oh wait, like, like, like you kind of started this, oh wait, like, these numbers actually turned to like real people in like a live setting. That, that's when people really started to take things uh, seriously. Yeah, and remember before MySpace numbers, it used to be record sales. And even during yeah, MySpace, true. it was record sales and maybe your MySpace numbers, you know? Like it was a long battle yeah. to overcome record sales numbers, which was what the industry was largely based on when it came to billing a tour and everything. Well, how many records have they sold? Yeah. You know, we were kind of pushing that envelope of, well, how many friends do they have on MySpace, you know? Yeah, and what's funny is I, I, I remember where our MySpace ended, basically. We were near 600,000 on MySpace, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot because technically that's like right around where the band's Instagram is is at right now in present day. Um, and even on, on and even on Facebook, we, you know, got up over 4 million or something, which was what came after MySpace. But on MySpace, we were around that 600,000 mark, which was at the time, you know, in 2000, whenever that ended, um, in the, you know, late 2000s, it was, uh, it was a lot for a metal band to have that many. And I remember just being so proud and growing and growing it. And just to see those 600,000 basically just disappear and it all go away was seriously a devastating thing to me. I mean, I'd never thought, I thought that with that many people, following the band and with how big MySpace music was for so many artists in our genre and, and others, I, I honestly thought that it could never go away. I thought yeah. that maybe it would change, you know, like Facebook's changed a lot since it, I mean, it started as literally a Facebook like yearbook type thing. Add your, your college friends only have yeah. to have a college email address to get on Facebook. It started as, as that. Um, and, and now look where Facebook is. So I thought MySpace might evolve, but to basically become a cesspool and just disappear and become spam heaven and, and all that just, it was terrible, terrible because we just didn't have this easy connector to just get all of them to follow us on the next platform. Like I remember yeah. trying, I mean, there was a little bit of a crossover, like, Hey, come at us on Facebook and stuff like that. But there just was not that seamless connector you know like if only yeah. facebook could have just connected with our myspace and just grabbed all those profiles <laughs> and we just sure. start our facebook with six hundred thousand, yeah. that would have been great right but no i had to start our facebook at zero just like our myspace started at zero you know and so just to start wow. over at zero with that facebook which i know you know i created you know even to see that number get over four million i was like even more thrilled than i was with myspace at that point about the number but it still never was music centric enough yeah. to really allow 
us to to do what we did with MySpace. And you know, it's all about adapting to the current technologies and everything. But it just was never quite the same. And and then of course, those four million on Facebook. Now now nobody goes to Facebook for for music. And now that's not the yeah not really the spot for us. And now our Instagram, which strangely started as a photo sharing site, is now the best place to kind of currently see what's going on with the band and have fans communicate with the band and each other and so that's kind of strange so yeah yeah and like you said it's all about the numbers now it's now it's really spotify numbers that people look at and say Hmm. how how relevant is your band you know because that's where the majority of people are listening to music and of course apple and and things like that i just know that with spotify then the numbers are very easy to to see and and i hear and i hear a lot of people throw those numbers around since they're kind of public to you know public to the fans and and the industry alike um you know and the numbers are always changing on spotify because they're based on monthly listeners you know that that's the data that's public so it's a little different than the myspace game where it's like you add friends and they stay your friends unless you delete them or they delete you and same with you know facebook followers but when you're dealing with streaming numbers you can see your numbers go up or down so then you got to worry about, uh oh, our numbers went down this month. So now we're in a de- now we're in a decline. Now somebody can be like, "Did you see the numbers went down? The band shot." You know, it's just like yeah, what? Just like that. Yeah, just like that. So, um, it's so crazy how one literally I remember one album, one a few torn cycles like MySpace was our our bread and butter, and it was gone. It was so seamless. Like it's all, it's all Justin Timberlake's fault, dude. It was so crazy how fast that I remember like thinking back, like that's kind of scary how your biggest platform can truly go away at, at any point. It was quick. And then Facebook, luckily you got on the Facebook quick and you, even though it's not so seamless to you, cause, and you know, you also put in like the hours and work into it. For us, it seems so seamless. So oh, yeah, one day my space is pretty much gone and now we have a Facebook and now we're at like a million fucking followers. Like you really... You made it look seamless. That's part of the strategy of band management sometimes. It's there the smoke go. and mirrors of, I was probably stressing out, like, oh yeah. my God, I can't believe I have to start <laughs> this at worse. zero. I need to change careers immediately. And you were, <laughs> and then I go to the band meeting. I'm like, it's okay, guys. Our Facebook's growing great. You know, so yeah. I'm sure I was outwardly optimistic, but, you know, it was a real struggle, man. I mean, they just don't make it easy on bands. And yeah. when I say they, I mean like big tech and everybody. It's just, it's not easy on independent bands and it's not yeah. easy on metal bands. And if you're an independent metal band, and I say independent, even though, you know, obviously we've been signed to labels and stuff, but they've been independent labels. This isn't, you know, uh, so, like a, a, a big major label money-making machine or else some of these things can be overlooked, but just everything that we've accomplished and the people we've brought along with us it's all been on a very independent level from the team, you know, at the core all the way to the labels we've worked with and everyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's people that have been doing it for the love of, of metal and the love of music and, yeah, and, uh, you know, the technology and the social media apps and all that, those people don't give a shit about us, you know, and that's mm-hmm. just the reality of it is there's just, there's just never been that, that connection where it's just really helped young metal bands or or independent artists and and hopefully we're getting to that point with with some of these you know growths in in spotify and and 
Apple and other streaming platforms and and all these sorts of things. But yeah, yeah. It, cer- it certainly has not been easy. And no. uh, yeah, and then obviously the most depressing thing is when you look at Instagram numbers or Spotify numbers or anything of genres outside of metal that are just you know rappers or djs or or anything that there's just massive numbers and <laughs> you just look yeah. at it and go wow You're like what the i just heard, heard about this person yesterday when <laughs> there's millions of streams millions of instagram followers and you're like man i worked so hard to get to the number we're at you know yeah and so yeah it just it comes down to you know working with what we love and you know and we've been blessed to be in the position we're at with music that is badass and yeah hopefully we'll we'll have our day where metal will dominate um in in some area where there'll be a nice way to both discover listen to communicate with artists um you know and a community that that can grow with all those things integrated so we'll see where it goes we'll we'll see where where it goes man you you've you have a lot of experience with uh, managing a band and seeing ups and downs and money, no money. What uh, two things? What do you think keeps you here, dealing with our shit still? Jeez. <laughs> what keeps me here, dealing with your shit still? Um. I mean, man, we haven't even talked about the time that I wasn't actually with the band for uh, for a couple of years, <laughs> but let's perhaps, per, but perhaps that's another story. No, let's go um, into it. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, firstly, what keeps me here really is the connection that goes back to when I first met you and you know, and the other guys in the band at the time that are that are no longer, um, you know, the current uh, members of the band. But so really a lot of it goes back to you, to be honest, but then every step of the way and everything that we went through, including, um, you know, the tragedy with Mitch and, and so many things that are major, major life experiences and realizations and growing up, you know, with you guys in a lot of ways as like a family of brothers, it's been that sort of bond that that keeps me going. I mean, I, I really think that my personality combined with what I put into this band early on and through the, you know, 17 years on and off, mostly on that I've been working with you guys. Um, it, I just have an inability to leave working with this band, you know, like I, I can adapt to what I, um, feel like I can, do as as the manager and and what makes sense for me as time goes on but as far as just getting up and leaving and calling it quits and saying i don't want to do this it's it's almost impossible for me to do and even when we had our little separation uh you know between 2016 and 2018 when you guys let me go you know there were positives that came out of that for sure for for both of us but it kind of had, if it was going to happen, it kind of had to happen with you guys letting me go because I just would never, you know, even, even not seeing eye to eye with where you guys were at creatively at that time and things like that. Like I wouldn't have been the one that, that walked away. Cause I just couldn't do it. Like I have an inability, um, 
when it comes to this band and just what it's meant to my entire career trajectory and my life trajectory. Um, so yeah. So why I still do it is, you know, sometimes I ask myself that question I go, man, I need to start a family and like, I need to start focusing on real adulthood. Um, you know, which again, you can have a family and, and do this job, but it's one of those things where I just always felt like, you know, at some point I'm going to settle down and, and when I do, maybe I'll settle into some of these other things I've been interested in from a filmmaking standpoint or, you know, working with kids is something I've always wanted to, to do, you know, more professionally and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't walk away from it really, uh, as long as it's an active project and band, because I always feel like, you know, I'm at the core of what this this band is all about and the influence it can have and and i think that's a very powerful thing and i don't want that to really exist without me if it's going to exist you know and i feel like i'm the best person you know not playing an instrument that can be involved in this band and i feel like with everything we've done and accomplished and been through that it just doesn't make sense unless i'm physically unable to work with the band anymore you know it just doesn't make sense for me to walk away from it forever i'd rather adapt and you know just like we've had to do in the past so yeah that's my long answer to why do i do it you know it's good we we still love it you know and then i mean we it's so rare do that especially a manager sticks around for so long you know it's it's super rare. I can't. I, I don't even know one really off the top top of my head that stayed stay with the band during the ups and downs. Money, no money, money again. It's extremely rare. Yeah, that's that's true, and that really, I guess, is just you know a part of the type of person that I am, and and how connected I feel to what you know to the work I've done with this band, and and you know, and it really just comes down to to life you know like this band has been my life it goes beyond the word work you know mm -hmm. and it's kind of like being in a marriage you know with being in like a long-term relationship is kind of the way i i see it and it's one of those things where you know maybe sometimes you take a little bit of a break and look at it from a distance and come back stronger but at the end of the day if the connection's there and you guys work the best together as i feel like i do with this band um, we have different strengths that, that play together to help, um, yeah. to help the band exist in any particular era of, of music. Um, so far it's, you know, it's, it's been great and it's something I, you know, and also I want to think back on these days and just know that I gave it everything and that I was in it for the long run, because I'm sure I've told you guys a bunch of times, you know, I'm in it for the long run and. And just staying true to that is important to me. And yeah, and it goes beyond me being an artist manager because there was, you know, even a time briefly when I wasn't working with you guys that I was also hanging up artist management altogether and, and moving on from it. And, you know, now here I am working with you guys again and not really looking to expand my artist management roster because I'm interested in, in some other things. But, you know, but to me, Suicide Sounds goes beyond that 
Um, and yeah. And I do also work with one other band, so it would be unfair not to, to plug Kane Hill, who I also manage uh, at this point. And they have been a great band to work with. Um, and I'm super stoked about them. But again, you know, that's them as great people that I enjoy communicating with. And, and I got to be very particular about anybody that I work with these days. Yeah. Cause it can't just, you know, can't just be a, a great band whose music I like, you know, there, I learned early on after picking up other bands after you guys that so many more variables come into play than, Hey, I love this band. I'm going to manage them and people are going to like them and the band's going to stay together and everyone's going to make money. It just doesn't, you know, play out like that. There has to be so many different things happening and there needs to be such a great, honest relationship between manager and, and band and mm-hmm. and between band members with each other and, and all this. So I won't even think about working with a band that that isn't, you know, already very professional and, and learned uh, a number of those things um, just because I'm at a different point in my life where, I'm, again, I'm not even interested in picking up any more bands. But... Um, but yeah, it's uh man, it's been a wild ride, Garza. And it I, has, I, man. I I can't believe that it is the year twenty twenty one. I know. I remember when it was turning twenty twelve and we were all like, Oh my Whoa. gosh, this is like the year the world's gonna end and just you know, that seemed, you know, like so late in life in a way. And now it's twenty twenty one. I know. I literally thought it was gonna end. Remember, like, we were, like, trying not to play shows during, like, a certain amount of time because there was supposed to be, like, some earthquake happening or, like, there was supposed to be, like, <laughs> he, he, like, believed it. He believed in that stuff. Yeah. Well, and that, then that was a very significant year that, that everything did change, yeah. you know, on, on our end, not, in, you know, for the whole world, but for our world. And so, yeah, and it's crazy how long ago that even was, you know? Yeah. So... Eight years ago. It's nuts. It's it's nuts. Do you remember calling me? Do I remember calling you the night that Mitch passed away? Yeah. Yep. I remember calling you. I remember where I was. I remember a lot about that night because it's such a, you know, vivid, surreal kind of uh, experience. I'd never been through anything quite like it and and thankfully haven't, you know, really since. Um, but yeah, I do remember calling you and I remember not knowing how severe the accident was and, and just, uh, you know, but knowing that it was important that we get to the hospital and assess the situation. And I just remember thinking like, man, I can't believe, you know, that Mitch got in this accident and that, you know, that he's that it sounds like he's severely hurt. Like if he has broken bones, he's not going to be able to do this next tour. I remember things like that crossing my mind, like, like how injured is he? And is that going to mean he's, you know, learned his lesson of not being so, you know, careless and even riding a motorcycle and and things that could be inherently dangerous. Um, But, you know, the thought of his life being over just didn't even, didn't even cross my mind really. Like, when I first called you because I, I wasn't told anything like that. You know, I just knew that the accident took place and we were going to go to the hospital and 
and all that. So to me, I was thinking like, man, what, what, what is this going to mean as a setback to the band? And obviously I, I hope he's okay and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, but like, what does this mean for him? What does this mean for all you guys and all the hard work everybody was putting in? And so I certainly wanted to, to be there and, and help him and all you guys through that challenging time. And then of course it ended up playing out in a way that was much, you know, worse than any of us ever imagined. And, and yeah. And then so much after that, it's just, you know, uh, it did it, it it didn't seem real remember like we all we all showed up at the hospital like around the same time it was uh it was me you and kip mitch's dad and i remember like going in the hospital i'm like where, where's everybody else <laughs> i was like i don't think no one really knew i was at part as as a uh, as, as we were probably thinking in our heads you know it's not it can't be that bad like, you can't, yeah well, it's like, it's we like you like, can't didn't. accept that yeah, we also didn't want to overreact, um, True. not knowing what was going on. And I think, uh, you know, you and I were somewhat locals, you know, and, and in town and able to be there. And, mm-hmm. and it was also Halloween night, so people, yeah. you know, had plans or were out certain places. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like at least that, that initial moment of us getting together with his dad and just, you know, being there um was was obviously super important but it was you know it felt like an okay it felt like the right reaction to to not you know knowing what was going on and and of course you know you being the the band leader and band founder and me being the band manager and him being mitch's father and and it just felt like we were you know reacting appropriately and that i i know we made phone calls you know once we realized the severity of it to other people and Mm -hmm. and started rallying everyone but yeah, then just from that night and next morning onward, my feelings about everything are so, you know, strange where it's obviously terrible, but so many great things came from, you know, the fans raising money for, for Mitch's daughter and her college fund and, <clears throat> and just seeing people come together and celebrate Mitch's life and just all the video footage that I had compiled and others had compiled over all the years kind of coming together and and just that memorial show that we put together that was so special that you know his spirit was was like in the room you know and and yeah. on the stage it was uh some some crazy spectacular came things came from the ability to celebrate his life but obviously just being in that position was you know, the most tragic thing I had ever experienced and, you know, and probably still has been the the most significant loss as it directly relates to my life. And, you know, so yeah, man, that I, so I do remember calling you cause like Jolie called me and then I called you and then, you know, and again, you just never think that, Oh, it's the absolute, worst scenario now you, you think like uh there was an accident you know uh, and i thought as the band manager how am i gonna damage control this both public <laughs> both publicly and privately so that yeah. everybody in the band feels like they can you know grow stronger from it and yeah. you know and hopefully people learn to, to be as as safe as possible which is ob- obviously very difficult uh 
you know, in your guys' line of work and constantly traveling and all this, um, accidents happen. It's just something like this, you know, just happening at home, so to speak. It's just such a tragedy. So, so yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the fact that we all went through something like that and, and everything as well, I mean, probably even relates to the question you asked me earlier about why do I still do this and, and all that. And it's, you know, it's obviously so deeply, uh, connected to me in, in those ways where, you know, somebody passed away that was involved in this band that because the steps that took place of me discovering the band and the band growing and all the things we all did led to that, you know, tragic day happening. Um, it's just, it's a part of everything and someone's, you know, life and legacy and what they leave behind is directly related to things that we all experienced together and did together. And, and I certainly, yeah. I think felt that drive when the band decided to stay together after that and get another vocalist. I know I felt that, that drive to, to continue doing what I do alongside you guys, um, you know, for the sake of, of Mitch's legacy and memory and, um, and just how important it was to continue to bring awareness of, of his life because this band was his, his life in such a huge way, obviously that and his family and, and everything like that. But it's, it's all, uh, yeah, it's, that's someone's life, you know, it's super important. And, and because of this band, you know, there's, there's a lot that's attached to that, that story and our ability to remember and everything. So yeah. And, and music lasts forever. You know, the, the beauty of, Spotify and these sorts of digital streaming outlets is you no longer have to go rummage through a CD bin at, at a store anymore to find a band that you like or an album somebody told you about, you know, like that music is there for everybody to find just with a simple search term, you know? And so those records that Mitch was on and everything, it's just people are going to new generations of people are just going to hear that forever. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it's so important I think, um, you know, just the entire scope of the career of Suicide Silence and how we've been able to celebrate uh, Mitch's life and, and, you know, and the music that he was involved in with you guys and, you know, and allow that to help people that find that music and hear those lyrics and things like that, you know, forever, um, helping new people, so... And the more we put ourselves out there and the longer the band continues, it's just the more that overall awareness grabs onto new people, you know? So yeah, I really appreciate the, the length of time you guys have been able to keep this up and, and, you know, and I've been in it with you guys for probably a lot of those same reasons of, of carrying on for reasons that we all kind of felt like we had to, you know? Exactly. No, I feel the same way. It's, it's kind of one, one of those things that people don't really know what's going on, like behind the scenes. Like people don't know, like, like that, that you're involved. You know, like, people don't know, like, hey, like our manager that's been our manager since day one is still involved. We're like, we're making, we love this. We're we're, we're going to make this work. You know, for for the sake of Mitch and for the sake of the band, everything that we've been through, we've been through tragedies. You know, and, and we've been through so much together. So people don't really see or know what's really going on you know they just kind of see like a band name and then they but they'll know the work that you're putting in 
you know, and the and and the love and passion, you know. It, it's very rare. I mean, if 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 that tragedy happened and you weren't in the band, you weren't part of our foundation. Yeah, I mean, it would it would have failed. You know, I mean, it, it had it had to be somebody that quite literally was was in it. You know, and was a part of that that uh, that tragedy. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it all happens for a reason. It's it's me for a reason, and in my life, it's you guys for a reason. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so we are where we are as far as all that goes. And I'm still trying to figure out my my ultimate path in life beyond managing this band and and uh, some of the other bands that I've managed over over time. And you know, I definitely want to do some other things, and I feel like I'm at that turning point of some some other things are inevitably gonna happen and take priority in my life and and hopefully uh you know all for the better but i certainly think that being involved in this band has been um so significant and i hope it continues to be and i certainly plan to remain involved and yeah what you said about people not understanding the inner workings of the band and knowing who i am and and kind of what goes into surviving these tragedies and, and everything else it's uh yeah you, you're totally right about it and that's always been that that tough part of running the band social media and things like that i'll i'll see a lot of the messages from people that have their opinions about the band should break up the band should change their name or this that mm-hmm. and the other thing and there's so much humanity lost in these some of these comments and opinions where people you know, don't stop and think when they're on the internet about like the real lives of people that are affected in these scenarios and these decisions. And it's not mm-hmm. just as simple as, you know, what they imagine would be best for them as the listener of this band, you know, like there's real people's lives and, and, you know, they only get one shot at being the age that they are anyone does you know and mm-hmm. and what you decide to do whether you're making music or any other job it's like you know they're big decisions and i think uh this band has always stuck together and persevered through a lot of things that you know the listeners and fans might not fully understand and and hopefully even me chatting today adds a little bit of perspective to the humanity of it all and, and how difficult it it uh it is behind the scenes to continue with the band whether it's through tragedy or whether it's through stylistic changes or band member changes or or anything and even even bringing on Eddie and having you know people think that we broke up all shall perish or be upset that you know that Eddie's old band isn't isn't currently a thing i mean they don't know all the behind the scenes details of what was going on with that band and whether yeah. whether Eddie would have had a continued career and in that band and things like that. Whereas, you know, we kind of have more of an inside track as to, you know, the decisions we're making and, and how people's lives, you know, are truly affected by these things. And we're certainly, we've always been very careful and calculated and, um, you know, and, and do what's best for, for, uh, the people that are close to us and, and what we feel like is the best direction to take at any time, you know? And so it's just really easy for people on the outside to be like, man, they broke up my favorite band or they should have got this guy. They should have got this guy. It's like, well, we don't just like pick from a 
from a hat and then that, that person <laughs> comes down to the jam room and all of a sudden they're in our band and and then we break up their band and it's perfect right it's just like no you got to have so many things working together to you know to replace especially a key band member or front man or anything like that like you know we're not looking to replace somebody for for an for a, a week or a single album or anything but you're talking about like again people's entire futures and things like that and yeah. so so much goes into these decisions and there's so much pressure within us let alone to the fan base to you know to continue on and make the right decisions it's just yeah so difficult and it's very hard and like on. you said it takes the right person working with the right band to make the right decisions because yeah there's just so many things that can go along wrong along the way so and so many little things big things that that you got to get right you know if you don't have someone especially like you like to steer like steer the ship that that's been there for years and knows the history and the backstory and the story everything it's like you kind of need someone that's that's been there speaking yeah. of speaking of story just like a real quick one that might uh lighten the mood a little bit i love it um that i know i've never said publicly really but back in those days of running the myspace i mean i think i've told you this story before but there was a uh, that guy in Mexico that I guess worked at some convenience store and he was wearing our pull the trigger bitch like tank top. And I remember he sent a picture of him wearing the pull the trigger bitch shirt covered in blood, given the metal horns. And he basically said, Hey, I was wearing this at, you know, this convenience store. And these guys came in and, and held me up and shot me. And I thought it was crazy. I'm wearing the pull the trigger bit shirt. And I just remember seeing that and being like, jeez, jeez man, this is real life right here. Like, this is real life. This shit. guy's wearing a shirt that says pull the trigger, bitch. Wow. And somebody pulled the trigger on him. And I remember what thinking, the fuck? and he thought it was metal. And I was like, dude, these Mexican fans are crazy. And like, I just, <laughs> we, we got to go down there. To me, that's, <laughs> I know, I don't have the type of stories that you guys have on, on the road and these sorts of things. So to me, my stories about the band, you know, besides the behind the scenes, private stuff of everything we go through, you know, was simply relegated to like MySpace wow. messages back in the day. So I just always remember, you know, you'd get those ones of people that are suicidal and they're thankful that the band saved them or helped them through this like i had mentioned earlier but then you some you sometimes get these crazy ones where a guy gets shot wearing the pull the trigger bit shirt and he thinks it's cool and you're just like man we've we've made it man i mean wow, our merchandise is getting bloodied across the border like this is this is real that's yeah, definitely one of those moments but yeah wow dude what a trip metal fans man I mean, I feel so bad that the guy got shot. I know. But that kind of, I mean, back in the day, I, I don't know that this happens that much anymore, but I remember just those, you know, violent pits that we would sometimes have and fans would get, you know, broken noses or they'd get bloodied in the pit. And again, they would like come up after the show and talk to us or talk to you guys and be like, dude, I fucking broke, broke my wrist in the pit tonight, dude. You guys are crazy. And it's like, dude, if I, if that was me, I'd be in like the hospital being like, I'm not going to another metal show ever. And yet these these fans, especially in, in those early days, it seemed like when the scene was like really coming up and exciting, like people would just hurt, get hurt and they would almost wear it like a badge of honor that they got hurt during the Suicide Silence set. You know, they like know the song they got hurt during. It's just like, man, you guys are, man. it's like rabid out there. So, I mean, yeah. So to lighten up the mood, 
uh, I sometimes fondly recall the uh, pseudo violence that took place uh, with our fans back in the day and how, because they're so metal, they like appreciate that they were able to experience this pain, <laughs> which oh, is just, dude. so just use that when you're writing the new record Garza to really dig down and make the heaviest songs oh. you've ever made. Use that pain that people self-inflict yeah. upon themselves or others and enjoy it because they felt the music during the time that it was, ha I mean, for all I know, the guy at the convenience store had his headphones in and he was listening to the song when he got shot. I mean, in my mind, that's how the story goes. Wow. But, yeah. That's nutty. Yeah, there's there's a lot a lot of nuttiness about uh about the way this band came up and again you take something as still going. You take something as humorous and kind of I guess childish as family guy and that kind of humor and you mix it with brutal vocals and presentation and you've got this really interesting hybrid of a young band you know, finding itself in this dawn of deathcore as uh, it turned out being. And yeah, it's just, again, talk about a time and place, man. It just, it couldn't have happened at any other time in history in any other garage except for this one. <laughs> and yeah, it was uh, significant in the lives of a lot of people. And those people have now grown up and thus that makes me pretty old. But I think... Uh, there's always new generations of metalheads coming up and there's always new yeah. new music that you guys are conjuring up. So I look mm -hmm. forward to being a part of all that, man. And uh, now that we're out of this pandy, as you like to call it, um, or You've been trying to be out of this pandy <laughs> uh, and get back to any semblance of real life, um, hopefully we'll get some more Suicide Silence music soon. And obviously... Uh, these tour dates coming up with Ginger in the fall are going to be awesome. And yeah. and hopefully we see a, a real resurgence of people's love for music and love for metal. And, you know, again, Jose said it best when you had him on a couple episodes ago, is just that positivity and people coming together over over all types of metal subgenres and things like that. I, you know, I really enjoy being a part of of that as well and i hope that if anything people have learned through this pandemic and being alone and not having concerts and all this is that it doesn't matter what type of metal you're into like it's a community of people things are always changing let's help each other out let's yeah. you know grow as as people let's help bands grow and spawn other bands that are also badass and just you know just have that synergy so that everybody can thrive together because there's just, you know, that's the only way people can make a living doing this kind of music and things like that is if everybody works together and tours together and promotes each other and, you know, and spreads positivity because there's plenty of negativity in, in the news and everywhere else. And the last thing we need is any of that in, in metal. And especially yeah. since metal always had that stigma of like, negativity and satanism and all this stuff I, I really think metal community's done a great job of shedding a lot of that and and uh people coming together working together on stuff you know charities um and again just people helping each other out i think it's i've seen that grow over the last 
few years for sure. And I think uh, hopefully that's going to grow exponentially yeah. once touring gets going again. And, uh, you know, people start supporting artists and supporting each other. Yeah. One thing that you never did to us that a lot of other managers do Uh-oh. is uh, you never blew smoke up our ass. I always blew it right down your throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always uh, never overhype things. Never, you always shot us to us straight, and in uh, in the long run, that's definitely been very beneficial. Like, we'll we'll play like like an amazing show, like I don't like Knockfest or something, like something, and you just don't. You're like, dude, good good show, man. And it's, it's, <laughs> and then I was like, what? He won't he won't he won't say anything good to us. Fuck. Well, I've always tried to be the right level of encouraging, but you're right. I, I would never overhype you guys to yourselves or or I would never overhype you too much to even to other people because I felt like people could see through that. You know, I wanted yeah. the appropriate amount of realism to what's going on, um, especially yeah. since your guys' success was, was really strong uh, most of the time, you know, and it's just shooting it straight was... I think the best way to show people that this is growing organically and it's not smoke and mirrors in any sort of way. And, and yeah, I mean, I would tell you guys how it was and not make you promises that I couldn't keep. I wouldn't say, Oh yeah, you're going on tour with this band. No problem. It's going to happen or anything like that. I wouldn't lead you guys on. Um, and I wouldn't tell you, Oh, you're the next big thing, you know, either, you know? So I think, but a lot of that, that, I mean, that's just me being me and, I guess that's different than if I were to have apprenticed or been the protege of some other manager, or maybe I learned from some manager, no, you got to talk to your artists like this. You only tell them what they need to hear and then don't tell them about this and don't ever talk about this with them. And, you know, whatever the strategies are to, to make sure that your artist is kept at a distance and you're taking the commission check and everything's hunky dory. Like I never ran things that way. Cause I never, saw any other managers do anything i just learned you know how to do things based on my own personality and just how i am as a person and i would just chose to just be me around you guys from the very beginning and i think you not seeing me as a manager trying to get into your pockets and make money off you for my own you know personal gain or something i think mm -hmm. the fact that i never came off like that is the reason that i'm sitting here right now you know, because yeah. that is what you mentioned earlier about bands changing managers all the time and things like that is, uh, yeah, people don't stick with the same manager for a long time because usually the relationship can, it's really hard to see eye to eye on the business side and the creative side for an extended period of time, especially when, you know, people can't help but have their own well-beings in mind in their lives. And sometimes it's just, it's really difficult to keep up a relationship, you know, with anybody, whether it be a marriage or a best yeah. friendship or managing a band or whatever. It's just, it's difficult, especially when money is involved because somebody yeah. can always choose to see it as that person's ripping me off, you know, like I, and it could go both ways. A manager could see a band as like, you know, the band's taking advantage of me or the band could see the manager of like, as like he's taking advantage of me. And the problem is so many managers do take advantage of bands and have historically you know, taking money from bands that didn't belong to them or or had shady business practices or whatever. And then that 
kind of adds a stigma to to all band managers as like got to be on the lookout because you know you'll hear stories about this manager or that manager or you know you said something important early on about how bands need managers but which i of course agree with in you know almost all cases but you'll definitely find people that say like don't get a manager or you guys don't need a manager or you know just you need to keep all that money for yourselves do this do that but there's just you know and maybe for very few artists that can that can work but there's something to be said about the right person for that job mm-hmm. uh for the right band and being that buffer you know i think it's the thing that goes undiscussed typically that of a manager's role with the band that i've always thought has been huge is being that communication buffer so when you're communicating with other other you know bands about tours or any business to be done within the music industry talking to to labels or other managers or lawyers or anybody it's like you don't want the band members sending the emails and making the phone calls because what if they come off wrong to somebody that that you know that you don't want to burn a bridge with or whatever the case may be what if someone misinterprets what you say as attitude what if somebody misreads an email and goes that guy's a dick you know and to have a manager speaking on behalf of the band it protects the band from their own you know reputation and from and from things that could go wrong in that area because again if somebody dislikes your manager because he sent some email and said something they didn't want to hear that's fine because that's your manager and that's part of the job is the manager needs to you know absorb those types of you know of uh opinions that people might have yeah um and things like that so there's it's just being that communication buffer and also being that kind of at least the way our relationship works being that sixth member in a way where when decisions are kind of split or the band needs somebody to come in and say all right, I see both sides, but this is what we're doing. You know, having somebody outside of the band that's close enough to the band that they're involved in everything um, is key to sometimes make decisions that are really tough to be made when you have them split between members. Because if you don't have that manager to help make the final decision, then you've got somebody in the band that has to make that decision. And then other people kind of see that as like, oh, so now this person thinks it's their band to, to make these decisions, you know, or there'll be some people that are unhappy that they didn't get their way and some people in the band or one person that does or whatever the case may be. And it just creates a dynamic that doesn't need to be there between band members when somebody can just like play mediator, get the conversation over with, get things moving in a direction it needs to go on. And you guys can concentrate on being a band, working on music, not thinking about, uh Oh, this guy, is telling me what to do and he's my band member and like he's taking too much control or things like that you know there's there's enough you guys have to deal with any man has to deal with being with each other working on music living together on a tour bus or in a van you know so i think managers are important when it comes to you know helping make split decisions and and helping basically being the person to blame you know when it comes down to even something going wrong or whatever because i would rather you guys blame me and and have 
that happened, then one of you blame the other person, and then that could lead to the band having turmoil that leads to, you know, one of you guys walking away in the middle of a tour or something because mm-hmm. something that started back on a conversation two weeks ago, you know? Yeah. So there's just, there's, yeah. there's so much. And yeah. And when, when, and people always ask me, you know, what is, and I guess, you know, I should address that here is people always ask me like, what does a manager do? Just like, you know, people that work outside of the music industry ask me all the time when I say mm-hmm. that that's what I do. And they always go, oh, so you book the shows for the band, right? And I go, no, that's that's their booking agent. And it's like, oh, so you put out their, you like make their albums? Nope, that's the producer. Oh, so you like put out their CDs? Nope, that's the label. It's like, well, what do you do? And it's such a big misconception. But what I usually tell people when I try to explain it briefly is what I was telling you that, you know, I basically handle all things that relate to the band's business um, and the team that we hire uh, you know, that we choose to, to work with, to build our career and, you know, a key component in, in even the creative decisions a lot of the time, as far as, you know, what the band's going to do, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, how it's going to be executed, all those things. And then, you know, just to be that communication buffer person that speaks on behalf of the band, um, you know, it's such a key role that again, if you're a dude in a band and you don't think you need a manager and you're handling all that communication, maybe you're the most well-liked dude ever and and it's going to do you decent in that regard, but there's almost always a situation that'll come up where somebody doesn't like you or reads you the wrong way or or something and that could hurt your your band and people's, you know, personal opinions of you and people talking shit behind the scenes and and all that. But, you know, that's what a manager's for, to be, damn it, that band's manager, I remember that email <laughs> I got from him and yeah. where he told me no, and I fucking yeah. always never listen to that band again, right? But it's a lot better than somebody going and personally, like, shaming your name because yeah. they feel like you're yeah. cocky or full of yourself or something. Because, yeah. again, when you're emailing on behalf of your band and you're becoming a successful band, you also always have that balance of, how do I pursue opportunities and not come off as like cocky? How do I negotiate money and not come off as like feeling like I deserve more than I'm worth and, you know, being bold, but it's just like almost an impossible balance to reach. That's why you need another person to reach out and say, uh, yeah, the band needs this much money. Cause it's one thing if I'm telling somebody how much money you guys need to make an appearance or to do something, then if you're telling somebody and they're like, come on, man, you're full of yourself. Give me a discount. Remember that time we smoked out at the yeah. behind the venue? Yeah. It's like, like <laughs> no, I don't need to negotiate with you right now. Like that's yeah. that's why you have managers and stuff, so that yeah. the conversation never gets to that. Come on, bro. Thought you were cool. You know? But Well, Jerry, thank thank you for being that communication buffer. Dude, I I do my best. And I will continue to do my best. And uh I look forward to the many Many phases of this band that are still yet to come, like the grandpa version of Suicide Silence, where you oh, guys are all old men and you, you can't even get out of your chair, but technology's got it to the point where you can just like track your records while reclining. And <laughs> oh, you, just, fuck. you don't got to go, you don't gotta go anywhere, dude. The producer's like right there on this tall, like LED screen right in front of you. Perfect, dude. Though there'll be robots tracking your, your record. Yeah, I was, awesome. I was about to say we'll probably be a lot slower, but shit, if we, if we could get robots. 
Dude, at that point, you'll be able to write riffs just like with a chip in your mind. So Damn. instead of even like having to record the demo, you just think the riff and then like, boom, there it is, dude. Dang, are we, are we getting a chip? <laughs> I mean, we might already have it. I hope not. That too. I hope not. Are we even alive right now? <laughs> but dude, with how much has changed in the music industry and just the time that I've, you know, worked in it and, and you've been in, in a touring band and everything, I mean... Dude, just to think about what could happen in another 10 or 15 years, it's just crazy it's how crazy, fast things are moving and and what technology, you know, is going to be like and how bands are going to record and release music and whether full-length albums are even going to be a thing at all or if it's just going to be singles and short EPs and, you know, vinyls had its resurgence, but, you know, what if that dies out, then, then what's the cool collectible going to be? Are cassette tapes going to come fully back as the cool collectible? Oh, Are people going to start putting CD players back in cars again just, just for fun, you know? And then all of a sudden CDs are going to be collect collector's items all of a sudden. Um, you know, who knows? But I just hope that every... I guess what I really hope is that everyone that works in this business is able to find their way and continue working and doing what they love, whether that's yeah. the producer, the mixer, managers... The artists themselves, of course, mm -hmm. um, you know, music video directors, all these sorts of things, you know, a yeah. lot of which I've merch companies, things that I've dabbled in that, you know, I've seen those industries change so dramatically and budgets fall apart and um, it being difficult for people to, to continue, you know, as technology progresses and things get cheaper and, and, you know, people are able to just get things done differently than they used to so i just hope that everybody you know that's really put their heart and soul into into music and into our metal scene specifically can mm -hmm. uh, continue to adapt and change with the times and yeah and that bands can be self-sufficient you know as uh, as much as they want to be or are capable of of uh working as a unit to accomplish things independently i think would be would be huge and again, I cite those MySpace days as like the golden era for us. Like we controlled our destiny. We were like, yeah, we don't need to sign to a label right now. We're just going to do it on our, our own and grow it yeah. even more to the point that it's undeniable. You know, there's something fun and adventurous about that. Yeah. And I'd love to see that happen with, with more new bands and hell, even with Suicide Silence all over again, you know, just be able to, you know, control to, to some extent our uh, our destiny as far as uh, the music business goes which is which is tough but I think it being in the artist's hands directly to the fans is is really the only way to go these days so hopefully that continues to develop I think I think it will and uh, it's crazy that we've been doing this for so many years and it feels like we're just just beginning it was like a whole new beginning into another golden era. Let's hope so, man. Let's do it. And I mean, with I think your podcast is a great start, dude. I mean, I've been learning a lot about a lot of people that I only loosely knew details about. And, um, you know, your podcast has shed some, some light on their stories and how they got to where they're at. And wow. I hope that this continues well beyond episode 21. 
all the way to episode yeah what's 221 yeah what's your uh, third lucky number yeah you have 721 <laughs> now what's the other one i mean technically my birthday is 721 82 so if you want to have me back on as the 82nd episode i mean i might second? have okay. i might have all new stories i can tell at that point i mean yeah who knows maybe i'm not your manager anymore just kidding but that would be interesting if, if this episode was all about me saying i can't ever leave and then you have me on 80 and number 82 and i'm like 82. yeah man I, I became a doctor i'm just doing a surgery tomorrow night a brain <laughs> surgery i hope it goes all right she will be in uh, a year and a half from now probably what there's 52 weeks in a year dude i just hope you're i can't I, right uh, don't yeah. quiz me on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm, let's just guess that. So yeah, <laughs> year and a half, you'll you'll be back. Well, I can't wait to hear what all the other guests are between 21 and 82. And if I'm not 82, you better have a good guest on for 82. Yeah, someone real special, someone yeah. iconic. Iconic. I'm not sure who. Maybe Steven Tyler. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm down. Someone crazy. I'm down for all of them, man. I want. Dude, every person has their own like thing. It's crazy. Yeah, and continue to get get some people behind the scenes or people that that aren't on a lot of podcasts. I mean, I think uh, that's yeah. that's really been a great thing about your podcast so far is just all sorts of different people from different walks of life that you just kind of let talk and and tell yeah. their stories. And even though it's impossible to cover even like a fraction of all the things that they could talk about, they kind of talk about what comes naturally and i think that's you know a big part of the success of this so far and i think the continued success just letting people's personalities come through very you know howard stern-esque where you just kind of get to the the nature of the individual and people can kind of yeah feel like they know the person better totally definitely a shocking like accelerated uh, way of learning each week like there's like oh wow whoa there's like one thing well, I'm not sure what you learned about me, Garza, but there's there's got to be some things in there that maybe you never knew before. Yeah. Secret reveal. It's like, uh, or sometimes you'll you'll hear something and then it'll hit you like a month later. Like, whoa, whoa, they, they, they said that. And then it stays with you. It's weird. It's cool, though. I've learned, I've learned a lot. Or, you know, sometimes uh, one time I was, this week I was having like a, oh, no, like a non-inspired day and like thought about like this, Thing that I learned from Lorenzo. Lorenzo pops in my head. I'm like, oh shit, he said that. That was very true. Holy shit. Then and then my then, then my day's better. Nice. Like, Holy shit, dude. I'm like, that's just I should have come here with some inspirational quotes or something. Well, no, you did. I, no, I, I don't know what you're gonna take from this. No, who knows? I mean, I'll probably listen back to this and I'm like, whoa. How long yeah. have we been chatting, by the way? What is the what is the running time on this right now? It's uh we're almost at two hours. Man. Yeah. You, you time flies dude yeah see i can't even believe that yeah this is one of those more positive moments we had in this room we have any we've pretty we've had so many types of conversations in here band band members leaving <laughs> almost taking hiatuses or breaks or people wanting to leave or i don't know this yeah so i guess being uh, broke or getting paid this we have every, every type of yeah, that, that's true. I should have said early on that not only it was this, you know, the band rehearsal room for all these years, but it's been the band meeting room. So all those Pretty scenarios much. where where key decisions were made or things like that happened here because this is just where we would have our band meetings, you know? Yeah, I, I would drive to, to Corona. This would be kind of the home base for the band. 
Um, and, you know, and there were lots of times in this room that I'm sure everybody was worried, thinking, will the band continue? Oh, yeah. How How's this going to go on? And yeah, and so to be in this room now and see it transformed into like a podcast studio and have air conditioning in here, <laughs> which is that's, that's, just yeah, an accomplishment uh, in itself because yeah. it, we have spent some hot, hot days in here. And I, I wasn't even the one performing, but like I yeah. filmed you guys in here rehearsing before and I've almost passed out just from operating a video camera in here during the, and like the lens would fog up. I mean, it was like real legit heat in here yeah it gets nuts in here man definitely uh yeah about two decades too late but hey it's here it's here we got ac in here holy crap it feels good and now you got to find that balance of band rehearsal room and podcast studio and how are you going to make them both work unless you've got you know some revolving wall where it can just switch around it's a lot of breakdown and setup and and i know you you have a balance to try to figure out here but hey that's what what happens when the pandy hits and chris garza starts a podcast and you know all of a sudden this this room has multi-uses i know well jerry uh thank you for uh being here man appreciate all the years you put into this band we 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 wouldn't be here without you most definitely not i i don't see us being a band if, if you weren't still with us you know all those key decisions that that you were there for you know, helping us get our star to getting us back on our feet after uh, we lost Mitch. I mean, we I mean, we couldn't have done it without you. And you are a huge part, and that's why you are a member of of this band, you know. Well, thank you very much, guys. I, I appreciate it, and it's uh, meant a, a great deal to me. It did then, it does now, and uh still look forward to all the things we're going to accomplish together moving forward. And hopefully our future families will know each other and be friends and make music and all sorts of cool, yeah, cool shit in the future, you know? So I yeah. couldn't be more thrilled to, uh, to be involved in your life and everybody else in the band. And, and yeah, it's that sort of camaraderie and brotherhood that, you know, that allows a band to continue on the way this band has. And even without me playing an instrument, and never playing a live show in my life uh, to feel a part of a band, um, you know, and its success and just, you know, everything you just said there. It's just super, super significant, man. And it really is uh, an awesome thing to experience. And yeah, and hopefully people that are aspiring to work in the music industry in any sort of way can realize that, you know, they don't necessarily have to be musicians or be in a band to have an impact and and truly help others through the discovery of music and and the things that i mentioned earlier so you know although our situation is very unique it it certainly um is not not the only case of of uh people with different skill sets coming together to to make music and and bands grow and and affect people positively so yeah. So hopefully everybody can stick together and yeah. And uh stoked to be going to concerts again. It's coming up, dude. Absolutely, man. Ready. We're well, all ready. Well, yeah, thank you for having me, Garza, and uh I look forward to seeing the next Suicide Silence show. It's been a long time coming. Let's get some long people time. in the pit. Let's let's make sure there's there're not too many bad injuries, but let's let's uh let's keep it wild either way. 
Uh, catch us on the road uh, November, December with Ginger. Holy shit. And Jerry Cliff will be in the pit so that, you can see him. That has literally never happened. Unless I'm filming, which maybe has happened a couple times. Yeah, you, you haven't pit once? I've been in some pits. That's this is probably what we should have spent the podcast talking about. <laughs> it's a, uh, but we should have talked about how I have no tattoos and I've never really moshed much and I've never stage dove in my life. That's really what we should have talked about. Damn. I've never stage dove. So for episode 82, sometime between now and then, you got to get me to like stage dive at a show, maybe with a video camera in my hand because maybe, maybe, maybe that's how I'll feel most comfortable. I feel like I'm doing it for the purpose of the band's content if i have a video camera in my hand stage dive as yeah. long as it's as long as it's packed dude, it's gotta be packed but yeah let's uh let's let's make that happen uh, before i hit 40 before <laughs> i think before so we have about a, a year and, yeah. and three months make it happen before i hit 40 i got a stage dive stage dive let's, well, let's wait till i'm about 50 to get the first tattoo maybe 60 before i get a piercing <laughs> you know but let's stage dive before 40 let's go Attaboy. Jerry Club, love you, man. Until, love you too. Until next time. Everyone, that's it. Later.